This is the PowerShell Podcast, the podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. You might just learn something. I think you'll enjoy it. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm host Jordan and lowly co-host Andrew is with us feeling lowly today thank you yeah. yeah I'm not feeling nice today normally I give you a pleasant intro but not today it's a Monday I don't blame I don't, you I don't think you've earned it also due to my grumpiness we're bypassing all the uh the intro stuff we're going straight to the guest because that's why everyone tunes in anyway so everyone welcome Sean Lowry did I pronounce G'day. that right is it Lowry or Lowry Lori, like a truck in England. Lori. Ah, see, a, a professional would have checked this before we went live. It's all right. Never gets pronounced right. <laughs> and about as have... common as misspelling my name wrong, the first one, <laughs> it's not seen like the Irish. Fair enough. Now, we have quite the time difference between us. And I believe for you, you're joining us at, you woke up at 6 30 to be here with us today because you are in New Zealand. Whereabouts yep. in New Zealand? Uh, so I'm in the bottom half of our North Island. We had two islands, not to be confused with Australia, the big island next to us. Uh, we're actually our own independent country. So yeah, I'm in the bottom half of the North Island, Wellington. Uh, that's where I've been living currently for the last eight years. Prior to that, lived in rural New Zealand, so near farms and below that uh, at the bottom of the South Island where I studied computer science and music. Nice combo. I see you got some guitars behind you. Yep. My guitar teacher would be pretty unimpressed with how inefficient I am on those. I replaced wow. it with the Nice. It's I'm actually noticed a, a trend of PowerShell community and music backgrounds. It's not all of us, but it seems to be a I mean of us like I'm included. I'm the outlier here. A lot of people seem to get their start in music first. Yeah, and a lot of people end up in IT to pay the bills. So yeah. Yeah, most most of us aren't here because we want to be. It's because that didn't work out. So, yeah. That's uh, exactly how Jim Truer ended up in IT. He's, yeah. He was, just, was a working musician, do they call it, in LA? Studio musician, yeah. Stu- studio musician. And then uh, IT came a call. And, and thank goodness it did. PowerShell has been thankful for it. Yeah. Now, I thought in, about being a studio musician, but the uh, the thought of having to play guitar for people I didn't enjoy the music to, um, that was what really drove me somewhere else. That would kill the vibe for sure. You're just forced, oh, eight-hour day, just grinding away. Now, in the circle of Jim Truer, we have a man by the name of Jeffrey Snover, who, in doing some research for this, I saw... It looked like pretty early on in your PowerShell career, you had a little bit of an interaction with Jeffrey. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, it was an accident. I was uh, on uh, working remote with my partner down in the South Island of New Zealand. I was quite like detached from everything else that was going on, so I had a bit of time to just uh, program on the couch because I didn't know what else I could do. I didn't have all of my comforts like uh, the computer to play games on. I just had a laptop. Uh, I started writing a little module to draw some pictures because I thought, oh, I need to build a blog. And then my first thought was, let's not focus on writing the content. Let's just get distracted and do something completely down the other path. So I wrote a little thing to draw pictures. And then uh, I saw Swift on security said something about PowerShell. And I was like, oh, this is a good time to see if anyone likes it. So I just commented on there. Uh, and then I went to sleep and woke up. And yeah, I had an at Jeffrey Snover saying, Sean Laurie, I, I like this. And I was like, wow. Uh, Who's Jeffrey Snover? Um, no jokes. I did actually know, but I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. I thought that this was garbage, like a hot dumpster fire of terrible code. And it's kind of when I realized uh, people don't really care what the code looks like if it works. So yeah, that was, that was probably my intro to PowerShell. It gave me a bit of motivation to do a bit more. And so you have a, if I read correctly, a C-sharp background. So it makes sense why you'd kind of be able to step into writing some PowerShell, even if it's not maybe best practice per what people are writing PowerShell code-wise. Um, 
And I love how <laughs> you used it kind of like as an excuse to not work on your website, sort of. Um, but you actually went through with it and then shared it afterwards, which is farther than I get on some of those uh, inspirational ideas I have at times. And is this project yeah. still in existence? Yeah, uh, I just fixed a bug in it the other day because I realized I didn't know how to build an undo and redo set. Seemed like something really trivial. And then I started implementing it and realized how hard it is to go back in time and then forwards in time. And then if you make an action in the middle, not to get confused where you are. So yeah, I still occasionally use it. I think I've used it for a few pixel pictures recently. And what's the name of it? Because I think the name changed over time. Oh, it did. Yeah, I regretted that. Uh, PWSH for PowerShell Paint. I originally called it something like PowerShell Pixel Arts Frame. I don't know. It was a stupid name. Um, talking to someone else in the community, they highlighted the importance of picking a name that actually describes what it does uh, early on. So I switched to being a bit more bland because I think it's a little better for the, the SEO side of things. And is this kind of the baseline of what Tiled is built on? It looks like you built a little ASCII or a pixel art guy that you can move around a map, and the map changes when you hit the down arrow. Uh, you, are you walking the little person around a map at the moment? Yeah, the, uh, that is not quite the same thing. So I started with PowerShell Paint just to draw pictures. Um, the PowerShell Tiled thing was just an idea I had where uh, there's an open source map editor called Tiled for creating 2D games. It makes absolutely no sense to write games in PowerShell. It's not quite the language for it, but I thought it'd be fun. So uh, I thought I would try and interpret those tiled maps and then draw them in the terminal, uh, which has been more difficult than I expected. So yeah, that's still a work in progress, just one of the many works in progress. So yeah, similar vein. It's all just drawing blocks on the terminal and trying to make it look like something. It's quite uh, enjoyable just doing 2D graphics because you don't have to worry about depth or anything fancy. You just go through an X and a Y and figure out what color should be there. So yeah, I find it fun. It's kind of nostalgic too. Like, I don't know, I really like terminal applications and command line interfaces. And it seems like you are pretty advanced in the space, bringing a lot of really cool ideas and concepts to PowerShell. Thanks. I wouldn't call it advanced. I just probably uh, err into a weird niche. Uh, I see you got a Game Boy behind you over there, the old yellow Game Boy Color. Uh, yeah. It's kind of how I remember playing games when I started. And uh, I spent a lot of time at high school with my graphics calculator drawing pictures on it and uh, trying to write programs in whatever language the Casio had. And yeah, so I don't know. It, it is nostalgic. But that's kind of why I do it. It's it's fun and it's something I can wrap my head around, something kind of tangible. Plus, I get to write some really horrendous code and then people don't understand it, so I get away with it. That's, that's always good. They're like, oh, I don't understand it. It must be complex. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's because I've written terrible code. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I've always wanted to get into making, like, I think everyone, or I should say a lot of people that I've talked to in PowerShell throughout their journey, they're like, they write some scripts, they get some stuff going for work, which is awesome. And then they want to put a GUI on it. And, uh, you know, I think that's a mistake for a lot of people that they kind of learn from and then they move away from it. But when you bring the GUI to the terminal and it becomes a TUI, it seems like just so much better. Because then if you're trying to teach your team PowerShell, they're already in the PowerShell terminal so they can maybe they use your tool that's kind of written but then afterwards they can explore and it just kind of makes that transition better and from what it sounds like sometimes um if you're like me you might get distracted and having everything in the same terminal window just is one less thing for me to just not have to be swimming through on my desktop so many browser windows and so many things that i have to go through just keep it just in powershell I think I have the, the opposite, really. I, I see the terminal and I can't see what I've got there. So like, I find discoverability quite hard. So I know there's plenty of things in that terminal that I could do, but because I don't see them frequently, I can't click on them. I don't know they're there. So I don't know, for the last eight years, I've been using findstore.exe because I just never got around to learning where object and how that worked. 
Um, there's a lot of things I didn't do in PowerShell until two years ago because I didn't really focus on it properly. So I don't know. There was some of the discoverability aspect was difficult, but yeah, I do. Uh, it is very difficult when you start to try and build an external GUI to interface with your PowerShell script. Always smoother just to put it inside the terminal. I did find, however, there's a bit limiting in the interface like options you've got. You've got some basic uh, type of character to pick these five items from the menu. Um, I think quite often you want to list out something and give like seven items and then ask them to pick which one. And you often do that by like numbered index. Uh, and so you end up rebuilding a lot of the same stuff over and over again. And I did that heaps with my initial scripts I wrote for work and then realized I had built half of what uh, Patrick has written with Spectre Console. So I started actually pulling that into a PowerShell module to use because I quite liked that interface a little better for the TUI aspects of it. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's uh, one of the ones I've been working on. I did most of my presentation at the PowerShell meetup using that. I have definitely seen it, and I'm so glad you brought it up because it is a very cool project, and it's always awesome whenever I see this little pattern in PowerShell, which is like where a programmer, background person, brings us access to an amazing um, project from a different language. And I think that Spectre Console is so sick, and you make it so approachable. Um, so I was definitely geeking out. So if you uh, get the project, install module, posh, PWSH, Spectre Console, all one word, and then you can run through uh, some of the things we're going to talk about using start-spectre demo. And it is sick with just simple PowerShell. Oh my gosh, I, I'm... Let me calm down because I'm kind of geeking out the way that you did it because you also displayed like code blocks. So you run start Spectre demo and it'll start running this interactive demo thing for you. It'll show you the code that you would have to type and then beneath it, it shows the results. So like you said, there's a selection picker, there's progress bars, there's a ton of cool stuff um, and it's a great introduction to it. But to add on to that, how do you see people using that project? Like, do you think that it's uh, going to be super helpful for quick little kind of projects, quick little maybe uh, utilities people can use, or do you expect like larger form things? I only did it because I found it interesting to begin with. And then I've started to use it with a lot of my work. Uh, I've written a lot of PowerShell scripts and the only one where someone said to me, hey, uh, this is actually really cool. How'd you do this? Was the one where I'd use Spectre Console behind the scenes because I'd given them some select lists and some filtering and made it look all different. Uh, I don't really know how people would use it. So I haven't really, I've, I just wrote up all of those things, the wrappers, and then did a, a demo because I didn't want to document everything and then realized that uh, the way I was interacting with it was not very natural. So yeah, I don't know. And I could see it being used in more larger projects, but I also don't really know. Uh, one of the things I've struggled with since moving to PowerShell is the composability of modules. Uh, if you want to use Spectre Console, it's not part of the standard library. Um, so the user has to have it installed or it has to be a dependency of your module. And then you start to run into things where they're installed for the person and they might have differing versions. So like very frequently, I've got 12 different versions of a module and one of the apps I've got is uh, dying because a command that doesn't have the same parameter in a different version I've got. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's one of the things I see as a struggle to having it used more widely. I usually just paste them into my module and keep them as a local reference. So yeah, I don't really know. It's just something I'm playing with. And it is so cool and it is so worth playing. And like I said, if you're listening to this, uh, link in the show notes to check it out. There are a lot of really cool commands um, can you go through a couple of which ones you think are pretty helpful or a couple that are worth highlighting? Um, I like the one where you get the image. Get oh, Spectre yeah. image. <laughs> yeah, that one's, that one's cool. Uh, but I've done enough image stuff, so it doesn't really excite me the same way that that's for you. Uh, <laughs> for me, I actually really like the parallel progress bars. So if you have like five jobs running in parallel and you run start job on each of them and you have five job objects, you can pass those job objects to, um, I think it's called right 
inspect of progress or something, uh, you can pass it to those and then it handles inspecting the inner job to find the current progress status. Um, because when you use write progress, the built-in PowerShell commandlet, it sets some local variables saying like progress dot percentage is at 25. So it's able to go through and update a visual representation of each of those jobs on the command line uh, without you having to do, I don't know how many people have done it, but there's a Microsoft blog on how to do parallel write progress. And you have to use a synchronous hash table and then pass it into the jobs and pass data back and forth. Uh, I found that really a lot easier to use and I didn't realize it was going to be so um, usable, really. So yeah, I know that's my favorite one is write progress in parallel. And it looks pretty clean. Yeah, the spinners make it look a bit like Node.js. That was one of the things that got me into it first. I was, how come Node has all the cool, goofy uh, pictures and colors? Yeah, actually, shit. I have a second one. Um, the, just even right Spectre host, I didn't realize until I was doing my presentation how useful it is. Um, people are familiar with right hosts and using um, like PS style or foregrounds and background colors. But the Spectre host, uh, Spectre console has the BB code style formatting. So you just put square brackets around your words, say, I want bold text, I want underlined text, I want it to blink. I don't know terminals could blink until a few weeks ago. So if you add a blink tag, it'll just light up and turn off and light up and turn off slowly on the command line, which is interesting because it's something you can just draw attention to it. I don't know if all of the old uh, console hosts probably doesn't support it, but Windows Terminal certainly does. So yeah, that, those two are my favorites, the writing the progress bars and uh, writing just stuff with formatting. So yeah, there's, there's lots though. There's heaps in Spectre Console and I didn't really know what parts were the most useful. So I wrapped all of the really common stuff. I'm noticing a theme with, with your Git though. So on yeah. one of them, you've got, I had loads of fun while yak shaving. One where while procrastinating about setting up my blog, and this one was, oh, I'm just doing this for fun. So I think you have the highest rate of incidental awesomeness in the history of uh, GitHub. Everything you touch, no matter what the reason you go in there, just awesomeness happens. Yeah, it comes at a cost, but uh, I learned to weaponize my procrastinating. I thought, if I'm going to go and procrastinate, don't half, half ass it, whole, whole ass it. So yeah. That is... That is sweet. Oh, yeah. You don't um, want to be lazy while procrastinating. That'd be crazy. Yeah. He's so just too some much. of the laziest people are the most affected. Amen. That's what I'm talking about right there. Yeah, we, we like to highlight that. How being lazy isn't bad. Just got to, you know, maybe be a little professional with it. Maybe weaponize it for positivity and doing productive things occasionally. But it's a good instinct in some ways. Line one on my resume is, no, oh, I'm lazy. Good, good employers will know to work how to work with that, right? I think most places yeah, are probably, successful. Probably wouldn't lead with it, but you do you. <laughs> <laughs> so, when it comes to game design, I was checking out. You did some game in COBOL, which we'll get to. But do you think that Spectre Console uh, can be used for like some in terminal kind of text based games? Maybe, maybe with some interactive images and stuff like that, but. You don't want to have like a one where you're needing to have quick reactions in PowerShell because it just doesn't uh, work out the best. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Text-based games, generally, not super difficult to write. It's one of those things where you start to do it and you get your first scene done and then you realize how hard it is to actually be an author and come up with creative content. So uh, getting it on the screen, text is obviously easy. You can write to it. Um, Spectre Console has that block text where it'll write a border around the text that you're writing, which I found useful for making speech bubbles. Uh, and it has all of the selection options for selecting from a list or checking items. So inventory and things could be done relatively easily. Uh, and yeah, so I, I think like my common method for writing stuff is actually stolen from inspecting how people write modules, which is just to put a folder in there with a lot of PS1 scripts and then outside of that load them all. So as long as each of those PS1s has like a destination based on actions to load another script, you can do all your mapping between rooms and whatnot. 
Yeah, so load them all up and then sit an entry point and go for it. You could. You definitely could write games with it. That's I'm one sweet. of those people that spends more time configuring a game than actually playing it, though. Uh, so I don't know. What's your editor looking like? You, you configure that pretty nice? Uh, vanilla. I used to customize everything, and including Windows and all my terminals and all sorts of stuff. My PS profile is not very long. Uh, it used to be pretty extensive. This is a great day. For I me. have to. I have to switch between so many computers. I've got a laptop here in front of me. I've got a laptop over there, which is for watching movies. I had another laptop for one of the clients I was working with on contract, and then I had another laptop for work uh, and a desktop for work and virtual machines. And I just got sick of trying to copy things across, so I, I folded to the norm and just stuck with defaults for most things. My text editor is VS Code. And I've recently tried to use Vim, but it's too hard. So I'm probably just going to stick with code. You've done it. You really walked into it, huh? I'm, I'm, feeling, uh, I'm feeling so good right now. I also keep things vanilla. And Andrew has a habit of trying to shame me, not realizing that I don't feel shame. So to finally get support and validation in my quest to not change things, it feels good. Yeah. No, you don't, you don't need to customize things. Thank you. Thank you. One of my one of my coworkers actually uses Vim key bindings in his browser and a three million DPI mouse setting. So it's it's always fun trying to use someone else's computer like that. And that I, used to be me, and now I'm just boring. I can tell you the name, the title of this episode already is going to be "Jordan Was Right" with Sean Lowry. Gosh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess you win today, Jordan. Congratulations. Uh, Enjoy your vanilla defaults. But I'll tell you what. I do. Thank you. I can appreciate the defaults as well a little bit, but just not for everything. I like to have a little bit of a customized workflow. But that is surprising to me. You do all these customizations on the terminal and make it all fancy. Is your Windows terminal like customized at all, or are you just rocking defaults? You got custom fonts, anything? Uh, I do use custom font because the built-in one doesn't work with a lot of uh, nice Unicode or Powerline. I use the, that, uh, what's it called? Oh, my posh. Is that the one uh, for the custom prompt? So yeah, the terminal is one where I have customized it a wee bit. Uh, I can't recall if those settings are copied up through the cloud somewhere. They're not, are they? That would be cool if uh, any Windows terminal people want to do uh, like a GitHub sync with your terminal so that you can just start using it somewhere and it just logs in, magic. And um, that's what VS Code is doing and that's why I find that useful. But yeah. Uh, yeah, oh my posh. I think I do have a couple of things in my profile. I'm not sure exactly how useful any of them are. Oh, no, this is, uh, it's just sitting the output encoding to UTF-8 so that uh, Spectre Console works and running on my posh. So yeah, that's it at the moment. Keep it simple. I like it. Keep it simple. But you are using Windows and Terminal. I'm on Mac over here. I've been running through most things and it seems to work pretty well though. How long have you been using, using Mac? I don't know, Jordan, like two months, would you say? A month and a half? About Something like that. It yeah. hasn't been long. It's new. Yeah. Well, we'll see how long you last. <laughs> I um, I actually went full circle. So I was using macOS when I was like 12 or something. My dad had a Performer 580, which was a beige Macintosh. Um, beyond the Lisa, but before the, the colorful toilet seat looking laptops. Um, and yeah, eventually I ended up with a G3 iBook, which was like 600 megahertz, which is where I started trying to get into uh, 3D programming and realizing that I needed to draw the scene, close the laptop, stick it under my bed and leave it running for 12 hours just to render something to realize I screwed it up. I think that built a lot of patience. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I used Mac OS System 7 and the whole way up through university. And then when I went into the workforce, I started at the New Zealand police and I arrived and I was like, all right, what do you want me to do? And they go, can you just MSTSC to the RDP uh, AD DC2? And I'm like, what? And they're like, come on. And I was like, I don't understand a single word. So <laughs> I entered Windows when I entered the workforce and had absolutely no idea how any of it worked. And I was just under the impression, I was like, you got registry keys wrong. B 
backwards slashes in your paths wrong. I was like, why would I ever like Windows? Uh, now I love it. So I don't know what happened. I, Jeffrey Snover uh, infected me with a brainworm, I guess. So this is one, uh, I had a discussion in a, a live webcast a while ago where the misconception is one isn't done logically and the other is, where they're both done logically, they're just done different. So whichever one you get used to, you're going to be fine with. It's just the initial shock of switching over is always significant. Yeah. Yeah, no one no one loves change. But anymore, I'm surprised. I mean, there's three people and they're all equal in status in the PowerShell community that all use Macs. You got Don Jones, Jim Truer, and Andrew Pla. So, so, oh, so, Mac, Mac, love it. <laughs> so Mac, Mac usage is on the rise. I don't think it's, I think it's probably just going to continue for PowerShell and Mac, which I think is good. The more people using it, the better. Yeah, definitely. I, I do still love the hardware and I would use one in a heartbeat. I'm using a Razer 15 inch um, studio laptop at the moment because I miss. I dearly miss my 17-inch MacBook Pro that I had going through uni. Uh, everyone told me the laptop was too big, but it was I could sit on my lap and actually get some work done because I could fit so much on the screen. Uh, the actual chassis of the laptop was big enough to toast a piece of bread. So I used to like, be sitting there in Dunedin with the laptop running at 100 degrees. I could put a piece of bread on there and then flip it over, and I would have like, a nicely toasted piece of bread at the end of it. Um, that was something I remember. Uh, it also melts chocolate really good, so that's probably not as convenient. But yeah, I just really miss that laptop. And now I've got this 15-inch Razer, which seems to have the battery life of, I don't even know, like this thing runs out in 20 minutes or something if it's off the charge. So I, hate I miss the Mac. I miss the Mac. The battery and hardware is definitely nice. And, and some of the built-in software is cool. I like the audio drivers too. But mm. when you are on... Uh, windows now are you like a super power user you know all the shortcuts you're moving your windows automatically you're using hotkeys or where are you no i feel um i feel significantly less effective than i did on a mac because i knew all the gestures on mac and i knew all the shortcuts on mac os i didn't realize that uh in text fields and things they supported emacs bindings so control a would go to the start of the line and control e would go to the end and so I'd used Macs for so long, I thought that was just normal. Uh, and now when I came to Windows, I just never relearned any of that stuff. So I was way more efficient on a Mac than I am on Windows. And I still don't really know what the registry is. <laughs> I've been reading Windows Internals Part 1 for about six years now. It's just uh, I haven't got quite through it. I'm up to the security section, though, of my last, last chunk. Isn't it based on, like, Windows 7? Yeah, Windows still relevant. Yeah, I have that yeah. same book. Um, that is that is interesting. I'm in the opposite boat. I'm on Mac, and I don't know any of my hotkeys. Things don't work quite the same. Um, when you're in an editor, are you using like the home key and the end key, and like holding Shift and Control to kind of move around and highlight things, or are you using your mouse to drag and do things? Uh, I click. Um, okay. I'm lazy, and I click. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, like I so much. I've got like a callus on, this, on one of my hands, like from using my mouse hands too much. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, clearly it's working for you. You've gotten some really cool projects uh, out there. Well, it only takes a mouse to copy paste out of chat GPT. So it gets you pretty how's, far. How's that been for you? You've been using PowerShell AI, chat GPT a bit? Yeah, good. Um, PowerShell AI is kind of how I got into it. So I started using it and then I thought, oh, I want to use it with some PowerShell. And then I had a brilliant shower thought where I thought I could I could do some cool stuff. Uh, and then like all genius inventions, I thought someone else has probably already done it. And then I found PowerShell AI had done most of the legwork. So uh, yeah, I started using that and then realized there's a few things I would think would be useful. I think it was my first PR, I think, to a public repo was in that. And I just added the uh, invoke error helper or something. So it would just look at the last error that happened on the command line and give you some help with it. And then, yeah, uh, after that, Doug, who's writing it, reached out and said, hey, um, that's quite a novel concept. Like, I like that. Got any other ideas? And, yeah, and I started working with uh, Doug Fink for a bit. Um, 
Yeah, there's a there's Reddit thread out there where he gives you a shout out for all your contributions to PowerShell AI. It's it seems like I, I mean you you tried to downplay it like all they did with this little rapper, but it sounds like if you're getting full on shout outs from the guy that created it, it's probably significant contributions. I uh, I, I added code uh, syntax highlighting so that the code looks less uh, boring coming out of it. Yeah, which is sick looking. <laughs> the code block renderer. <laughs> that is like the worst, uh, worst code ever, but it works. So I was like, yeah, as long as it works, I'm happy. Uh, and then I saw that it's got like over 10,000 downloads now. And I'm like, wow, that's uh, for the number of complaints we've got, it must be working okay. So that's quite cool. So I, I want you to tell the value of that statement, ugly, but it looks like it works, is that was mm. the number one comment on my code when I applied to work here. So I take that as high praise. That's that's uh, the ultimate achievement. Yeah, definitely. Making it work is hard enough. I um, didn't realize what I was getting myself into with that. I thought text was easy. And then I started realizing that things like wrapping text over lines and figuring out where the token starts and ends got really difficult. Uh, and I think I had a couple of nights where I was just asleep and then would wake up and go, ah, oh, I'm going to have to put the lines into a buffer and then like remember the tokens start and end points. And I don't know. Now I've forgotten about it and thrown out of my brain. But at the time, I was just like, what I was thinking about was syntax tokens. And I'd only just learned what the abstract syntax tree was. So uh, James Brundage had talked to me about it. When I first uh, did the PowerShell paint stuff, he reached out and he was like, hey, um, I see you did some PowerShell. That's cool. And he, we just had a chat and he talked about a lot of stuff which went straight over my head. Um, I remember talking about the abstract syntax tree and I was like, why would I even need that? I can see it's cool, but like I can't see a concept. And then I got to syntax highlighting and because I knew it was there, I was like, okay, it's, it's possible. Yeah, James is definitely different on this approach, but like he's just so, he, I actively watched him try to dumb it down for me when we were talking at Summit and he couldn't lower the bar enough for me to understand what he was talking about. That guy is very intelligent. The stuff that he makes, though, is amazing. And I just thought it was interesting because when you mentioned you're making like the beginnings of uh, the video game, uh, he has a whole thing about making arcade games in PowerShell in his GitHub as well. Powercade. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it is Power Arcade or something. Uh, Yeah, no, if I have looked at that, he'd probably be upset that I'm not contributing to his, but I wanted to learn how to render them on a screen too. So. I wouldn't get that if I just used his engine. So I'm just uh, doing my own thing, having fun. But it's pretty cool because you mentioned contributing to PowerShell AI was your first public module that you contributed to on GitHub, I think. And then you had people reaching out to you and we look at your other projects and you're getting contributions from people. We've interviewed them and they're friends of the podcast. But it's just such a cool kind of thing to see the community doing its thing. You know, it really is a small world, but when you put yourself out there and, and do things, it creates opportunity for cool new friendships, relationships. You recently talked at the New York City uh, PowerShell user group. Like a lot of really cool stuff seems to have kind of happened from you procrastinating initially on a project, and it led to a whole bunch of cool stuff. Yeah, my procrastination is not what gets me paid, but uh, I got a couple of GitHub stars. I said, if I keep this way going uh, to my partner, I'll be able to pay the rent with GitHub stars. She's like, how much are those worth? And I was like, literally zero. (laughs) I will say, Andrew and I get irrationally giddy when two people we have had on the podcast have collaborated together. Like we saw the PowerShell Syntax highlight. You worked with IM Jacoby. We were thrilled with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we, we spoke. Kobe is good energy. Yeah, it's, he, he was a fun interview. Yeah, and then yeah, we saw he worked with Doug on a couple of things now. One with AI and hers, and he chipped in on one of yours as well. I saw that may have been the Specter. It's I don't know. We just like to see the cross collab. It's, it's great to see it no matter what because the community is awesome. But when you've interviewed both people, I don't know why we feel like we've contributed, but I, at least I do. It's like I was there for both of those. <laughs> Remember us. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's cool. Everyone's been very, uh, very welcoming and helpful. I found it intimidating at the start because uh, you see, I never worked in sysadmin. So uh, when I think of a stereotypical PowerShell uh, developer engineer 
use it. Uh, I see the people who are on help disk who know how to use computers to like an extreme level that I don't because I've been using Windows incorrectly for quite a while now. Um, but yes, yeah, so people have a lot of experience, which I didn't have. And I found it kind of intimidating that half of what they talked about, I'd be like, yes, yeah, so uh, what is WSUS? Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of acronyms I just want to understand. Yeah, and I, I think that for us, at least during my excitement, is that we're telling people all the time to engage, put yourself out there, contribute to projects, file issues when you see them. And to see someone who obviously is probably more advanced than most when it comes to coding, um, but like you said, different backgrounds, maybe you're not as advanced as admin stuff, but to see someone with uh, that background kind of have a lot of positive experiences, is just really cool because we spend every single week, we're talking about the PowerShell community and how cool it is. So, I mean, it's I'm proud of us. Good job, everybody. Keep it up. Your contributions matter. I'm a part and, of it now. Yeah, we're doing something <laughs> here. Um, but it is, you know, it's more than just us. Like, it's the whole community that makes PowerShell so great. And all these projects that we're talking about, PowerShell AI included, they're made possible by multiple people. Uh, a lot of times there's one kind of person behind it who starts it, but a lot of the best stuff that we have is a result of community efforts. Yeah, uh, you do a, do a lot too. I had a colleague come up to me. So last week or the week before, and he said, hey, have you ever listened to this PowerShell podcast? And I was like, oh, mm, I don't know which one you're talking about. And he's like, oh, this one. He showed me the picture. And I was like, oh, yeah, they, they look familiar. I think that guy, has, uh, he's asked me to go talk on it next week. And my colleague, Rob, was just like, whatever. I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm dead serious. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. He said, um, their, their recording quality is quite good and the uh, presentation is top notch. So I was glad I got Rob's... Uh, thumbs up of approval on joining the right podcast. Well, thanks for listening, yeah. Rob. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, shout out, Rob. Rob's got the craziest PowerShell profile I've ever seen. He's got like a million aliases and everything is all shortcutted. So he's typing one character to do things that most people spend half their day typing. So yeah, he's, so he's very, definitely very efficient. Team Andrew then on this one. That's yeah. right. I'm, I'm still excited to have Rob listen, even though he is on the wrong side of, of history on this one. Oh, good old Rob. Well, Sean, I have a question. So you mentioned your interaction with uh, I am Jacoby. What was that like? What What did he add to your project? I remember him seeing something that you did on Twitter and geeking out over it just like I did. But what was that? Uh, yeah, I, I can't recall exactly. Now, oh, he added uh, taking screenshots of the terminal. So, cause he said, oh, this is awesome. I use, uh, I'll do a lot of tutorial work and it would be handy to both have the syntax highlighted text and also a screenshot of it. And then he realized after he'd done that, that it'd be nice to be able to like, take some screenshots. So he also added an export as HTML option so they could just paste the snippet into his blog or something. So yeah, he added a couple of things which were really cool. Um, also just hyper energy came in and I just saw my phone go bing, 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 bing. And I was like, oh, what's going on? There must be 25 people here. It was just, I'm Jacoby commenting on it and then commenting on himself going, I'm actually super excited. I'm so excited. I'm giddy. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. So yeah, made me uh, feel like I hadn't wasted my time publishing it online, which was really cool. He, he's a go-getter. He's the, what, the number one uh, for submitting things in Hack 5. Like he, he puts out a lot of code. So it, it's pretty cool to see him out in this one too. Yep. yep. Shout out, shout out. But uh, yeah, Posh, Posh Syntax Highlight is the project, which just to kind of come to close things off, I believe this is the standalone implementation of the thing that you implemented in PowerShell AI, where it shows kind of your code formatted and there's even uh, numbers for each line, which is super cool in my opinion, for presenting code in the console. I don't know of any other simple way to do it to this level. And this is pretty simple because you've done all the hard work for us. Yeah, I used that for my presentation with the New York group. So because I could put up a block of text and explain it and then run it afterwards, which made it easier to do. Easier to read. When you've got the syntax highlighting, you can see where the function starts. Your brain seems to interpret it a little quicker. 
yeah, it's really clean, really readable. And I wouldn't be surprised if we slowly start seeing more and more people using this. Now, uh, it looks like you've kind of had your experience with working with um, libraries. And I think for Posh Spectre Console, you mentioned that you decided to ship it with the uh, module. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it has the DLL included in it. I don't really know how you're supposed to do any of this stuff. I've just I don't know if that's people. a bad thing. Yeah. I've definitely heard people have struggles with it because there's like there's a lot of issues that kind of happen with DLLs. Like you mentioned different versions. Sometimes if you want to, I think, like uninstall a module, but it's used in a different one, there can be other challenges. But fun to hear yeah, that you I've got to get some experience with that. With that. I, I know now, like I, I look at it and I know there's problems waiting to arise with that. I've seen how other people have done it and they've got like 20 different versions of the DLL. They've got .NET 4.5, .NET 4.7, uh, the .NET Standard 2, the .NET Standard whatever, uh, to support all the different operating environments it could run. I've just chucked in .NET Standard 2 and just, just crossed my fingers at the moment. I don't. If you want to support below PowerShell core, then yeah, it becomes a lot more difficult. So I just kind of went seven and up with what I'm doing there. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if it runs on a Mac. Have you used Windows PowerShell? Or did you get started like when it was already PowerShell 7? I always use Windows PowerShell. Um, we use Octopus Deploy, which is a deployment server technology, and we use a lot of PowerShell scripting in that. Uh, we have PowerShell DSC, which is written on uh, 5, and there's just lots of old scripts that we have, which... Migrating them was just in the and do later bucket. Uh, so I write primarily for five, and I've just always done it that way. I've only recently started just going. You know what? Who cares if it doesn't work in the blue power shell? So yeah, mostly five, which is where I think I had a lot of my preconceptions about PowerShell confusing bits from. Because yeah, a lot of it's cleaned up. Even seeing errors, uh, all of that stuff, like the error view preferences and things, have all changed. Yeah, there's heaps, heaps when you get it. Yeah, in PowerShell 7, there's a focus on a lot of things, but one thing where I kind of see efforts being focused now is the interactive experience with things like PS Readline and all the predictors and like you mentioned, kind of helping out with error visibility. Um, are you playing around with PS Readline at all or are you still kind of dabbling in the waters? I'm not going to lie, I don't really know what it is. I, I, use, I set my PS Readline option for the list view of previous commands. And then I was like, oh, wow, neat. Um, but beyond that, don't really know. Uh, recently had to play with the feedback providers, which I think are going to be incorporated into it uh, because I had a bit of an argument with Steve Lee about adding a timeout so we could use AI in the feedback providers because they were set to 300 milliseconds. That's an ongoing discussion on the PowerShell uh, repo as to whether they're going to support slower feedback because some of that stuff you can't do super fast. Yeah, PS Readline, don't really know. What, uh, I understand it to a degree. I just don't know what else you can do with it. I feel like I underutilize it. The history thing is a pretty big win for people. The history, the being able to get help without leaving the window and get it at a specific uh, parameter is a big value to me because I need help a lot. I think I might be using it by accident and not realizing what you're talking about. So when you say get help on a parameter, what are you talking about there? So... They have it with PS3 Lend now. If you, I believe it's, you can hit F1 instead of get dash help, and it will, whatever the command you have type in there, will give you the help document for that one. And if you hit it after a certain parameter, it'll take you to that parameter section in the help document. So you can, you can see the, the help about uh, whatever you're working on without needing to exit out and rerun the, with the get help command, and it will find the parameter for you. It's, it's pretty handy. I'm pretty sure it's F1. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's F1 too. Um, there's also, if you press Control R and start typing in like a command that you ran before, it can like go through your history and help with that. Um, there's also yeah, the I use Control R for a, a lot because I think that was part of the old PowerShell too, and um, it's available reverse lookup on Linux, which is where I learned it. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. If one does work, it also meets you. So I lost a couple of words there because I didn't have my function key enabled. 
we didn't say anything too uh, important. But yeah, PS Readline is kind of the module that brings that console interactivity. You can like, I think, uh, set kind of hotkeys that you can press that does things as well. There's some cool stuff in that space, but I'm curious to see what happens with the AI thing because I don't think it could be used for a live feedback provider very well. Maybe, maybe it could. It would kind of be kind of slow at times, but if there was a way to async, show the suggestion or get, I don't know, maybe enable and disable kind of easily. Maybe there's a cord, like I'm mentioning hotkeys. Maybe there's a hotkey to enable it and then disable the AI-assisted suggestions. Anyways. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think that part of the discussion is happening on the GitHub issues tab for PowerShell, I think, or GitHub discussions, because they're trying to work out exactly how to interface with it in a natural way, one that's not obtuse, because uh, it was triggering on comments, which is how it was originally working. Um, but I brought up a few, paste in a bunch of text off the internet, like I frequently do, uh, obviously, I've reviewed it before I paste it because I want to know what's happening. But uh, if I paste it and it's got comments in it, it would trigger AI feedback on every comment, which is not really what you'd be after most of the time. So you have a background in C-sharp. Is that mostly what it is? Because I know you mentioned COBOL a little bit. How much are we playing with COBOL? Uh, I did it once. I work... I don't really have a background in C-sharp. It makes me sound like a developer. Uh, I, I identify as a tester. Um, I started my career in functional testing and then moved into automation testing, uh, performance testing and performance engineering, site reliability, and now platform engineering. So I've just been through a few different disciplines. Um, the common theme is just trying to solve problems. Uh, but the, until I got into like the last four years, I wasn't really writing much code. Um, prior to that, I was writing code. I just didn't recognize it as writing code. I was, I was writing groovy scripts as part of my performance testing or working on like Jenkins pipelines. And uh, younger me didn't realize that that was also a kind of software development. So, yeah, uh, kind of like blanked on what your question was, to be honest. Uh, what was it? Uh, something about C Sharp and COBOL. But I yeah, think, I it's think I was just defending saying I'm not a developer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a developer. I, if you ask me about programming patterns or paradigms, uh, I'm just like, yeah, I write code and it goes from A to B. That's and interesting. Good happens because yeah. you mentioned not having a sysadmin background. You have a computer science degree. You clearly know how to hack around and make some things happen, and are, and are comfortable in some aspects of programming and stuff like that. Sounds like that's mostly been applied in the PowerShell world but not a sysadmin, but you were an SRE, which is very similar. It's just kind of cool uh, to, to hear about this unique perspective that you have on things. Um, because it sounds like your primary, like for work type stuff where you're writing PowerShell, it's to interact in the kind of build and application type stuff. It's not to write like novel PowerShell solutions for customers or something like that. No, I, I hated PowerShell when I started using it because uh, the person who knew PowerShell DSC had left. And then I became the inheritor of a million lines of desired state config, which I didn't understand. And it's not very natural PowerShell. You look at it and it doesn't quite run the same way. Scopes are all over the place. Uh, so that was my first experience, well, first main experience with it. And I was like, this sucks. Uh, it's, I can see the benefits now and why it behaves the way it does, but it probably wasn't the best entry point. Um, I would have preferred to do some more practical use. Yeah, everything I've done mainly is around the deployment uh, and build space. So that's where I got most of my PowerShell stuff. And, and uh, one one person I've worked with, actually, Andy, Andy McDonald, he's uh, pretty good at it. And he's really big on like unit testing. I've seen a lot of the stuff he did with uh, Pista. And so I inherited a lot of his code, which it was like running the gauntlet. He did a talk at one of our um, code camp style things in Wellington here in New Zealand, where he got up and said, uh, I'm sorry to everyone I've previously worked with. Uh, I over-engineered everything and it's a little bit too complicated. Sometimes I forgot about the readability. Uh, it wasn't worth just being perfect all the time. And I was like, ah, oh, thanks. So that's the stuff that I inherited from you. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's right. You would have learned a lot. <laughs> and I did. So 
Nice. And you can learn from his mistakes, hopefully. Uh, I still made his mistakes anyway. Everyone gets a bit too uh, confident and starts to over-engineer everything at some point. It's part of growing. It is. I think that the most advanced engineers can do things the simplest. Um, but on the topic of DSC, have you seen uh, anything about DSC v3? I believe they just made the repository public today. At the time of this recording, I should say. Yeah. Oh, no, I haven't. Uh, I'll have to take a look. It's It'll be cross-platform DSC. You're asking a lot of questions. It just was announced, all right? I'm a new guy here. <laughs> but I'll I tell you what. Whenever this podcast goes out, just check the show notes, okay? Just like our listeners right now, podcast show notes. We will have a link to the announcement and uh, maybe some other cool links, a link to the repo. And I'll also put it in our little private chat right here. Hmm. Yeah, it should be hopefully some improvements. I know they've been working hard at that for a while. It looks like the intention is cross-platform. That's cool. Yeah, because uh, that was one of the things where I found it really useful. But you, if you're configuring Linux servers or anything else, you'd, you'd want an alternative solution. And at that point, could use your puppets or whatever on Windows as well. So why have a split system? Yeah, now there's an alternative. You could be using DSC everywhere. Hopefully a lot of the gnarly bits are cleaned up. I, I imagine, I mean, DSC is not something that I've spent, I'm, I'm not even going to say some time in, but I imagine with, it's been over a year now where it's been open source that there's been a lot of significant improvements coming into three. Just by its nature, once you get the community involved, you usually you see pretty quick improvement. Hmm. Yeah, uh, a lot of people I work with thought that we wrote DSC, so it would fail. And then they'd be like, ah, your DSC failed. But no, no, no. <laughs> My resources failed. DSC is actually a technology. And they're like, ah, like, yep. It kind of got the bad name. I, I was learning while I was writing that, so it's, it's not the most reliable uh, stuff. We use it to build our development machines as well as production infrastructure. So because our production infrastructure looks a certain way, we just took all those bits and pieces and applied them to development builds so that we could get a kind of templated solution, which I think I saw recently. They've got Windows Developer Home or something, Dev Home, which looks to support building dev machines from DSC, which is kind of cool to know that we didn't go down the wrong path. So, yeah, it's pretty sweet. I had not heard of that. I just had to look that up. That's... I might have made it up. No, it's real. What is Dev Home? Yeah, a couple months ago it came out. It's uh, it's like templating. So I want you to join my company and start doing development. You click some buttons and your dev environment set up or your dev workstation. We're all in a bit of flux as to what a dev workstation is. Uh, lots of people want it to be online and like a GitHub code space. Uh, lots of people want it to be your local machine because we have most control. Uh, lots of security people don't want you to ever have local admins. So there's uh, people pulling in all directions. We'll see where it goes. I personally like the remote development thing, like a GitHub code space with, I think PowerShell AI has one set up with a dev container where you can run it and it has all the dependencies coupled with the code which is great because uh, I have too much stuff on my computer already. I don't want to install more things. It becomes polluted over time. I find that quite neat. I mean, we have these beefy browsers, right? They should be able to kind of, you know, move the workload there. It is definitely an interesting space to watch, though. I am curious mm -hmm. to see if things keep moving towards the browser or towards kind of configuration dev homey setups. But I love being on a GitHub repository. Boop, pressing one button and just being able to get things done without needing to switch a million windows and get confused like I always do. It's another reason to leave your uh, config vanilla, Andrew. But look at, that. look at that. No, that's a good next point. I think we're to the point now. No time, Andrew. <laughs> no, no time, Andrew. We got to move on. Uh, it's actually because we've, we've had a great interview so far, but we've come to the point that all of our guests dread. It's the three most difficult questions that you'll ever have to answer, each more difficult than the last. Are you ready for the common parameters? I think so. Okay. Question one. What is one time something went wrong while on the job 
and how did you handle it and what did you learn from it? Uh, I think I've been very fortunate working in quality and testing to have seen a lot of really large screw-ups from an external perspective. I learned a lot of my lessons that way. Something that I've done myself, though, uh, I've, I think I've broken things a few times the exact same way, and it's usually by deleting stuff that I wasn't supposed to have deleted. Um, my first lesson was not to symlink my home folder or like hard link it on Linux. So I had what I thought were two copies of my home folder with all of my university assignments, all of my uh, old photos from high school. And then I removed one of them to save space and then looked and saw that both of them were gone. Um, that taught me the importance of just keeping things simple. I made the same mistake years later at work when I junctioned half of my Windows folder onto an external drive because I was running out of space. And then I deleted my external drive and then wondered why Windows wouldn't start. Uh, and I also did the same thing actually with, um, I have a friend working in digital forensics for the police and I said, Hey, I've, uh, I've got a hard drive that's broken and I think it's just the, uh, the heads are stuck and he goes, Oh yeah, we can probably suss that out. And, uh, I said, yes, yeah. so, well, I can see. And he's like, wait, 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 you can see. And I was like, yeah, he's like, Oh, have you cracked the case open? I said, yes. And he goes, oh, all the files are gone now, but like, there's no way you need to be in a clean room to be doing that. Uh, so I've just deleted lots of files all over the place, and that's probably uh, the importance of backups is what I learned from that. I don't have backups for any of that stuff, so I lost all my high school photos and things, which was kind of annoying. But yeah, I won't. Uh, I won't judge. I have deleted, well, not my entire hard drive because it crashed before I hit that point while testing out uh, code for someone before. So I'm, I'm with you on I, that. I had a colleague also say. Uh, uh, review some of my code and told me that I don't want to recurse in the way I was because he did it while he was working in Canada and he didn't just recurse through the folder he thought he was on. He followed a link to a share and then deleted everything on the company share. So yeah, he said, no, 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 just make sure you exclude links when you're doing that. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Good, good listen. So I'm lucky I learned that one <laughs> through a review rather than by accident deleting everything on the company share drive. There was a career changing moment for me when I started like making a point to learn from other people's mistakes and not have to learn them myself every time. Cause that's kind of how I went through life prior to then. It's just, oh, we're just going to try it out. We'll see what happens. Andrew's oh, battle cry is, what's the worst that could happen? And here we are. <laughs> yep. All right. Question two. I mean, you thought that one was difficult. It only gets worse from here. With everything you know now, which, based on our conversation, is a lot. What's one tip you would give your younger self when you were first starting in IT? Uh, probably uh, don't party too hard. Um, I, I loved, loved the beers. You know, I spent a lot of my time uh, hungover. I mean, for my previous employers, I was always on, on form the next day, but I thought so, but I didn't realize how much it was affecting me. That's something. Uh, and just, uh, yeah, that, that's probably one of the things. I was, I, as a younger person, I was not really taking my career very seriously. And I probably left four or five years of progress by just uh, thinking my job was my nine to five. Didn't realize I could get more out of it. That's a great answer, I got to say. Very, you're tapping mm. into some wisdom there, man. Great advice. And I never grew up. I just Still found a job me. that encouraged me to drink on the on the clock. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just uh, definitely took it a bit too far. So yeah, that's to my younger self. Get shit together, Sean. It's uh, it's always an interesting one, just because everyone grows up at a different pace, right? If I hadn't met my wife, I would still be. I'll be honest. I'd still be tier one help desk. I was not I was not a motivated person until I had a family. All right. Last one. This one this is where most people just quit. But I think I think you got this one. What are your three favorite modules? That's too difficult. <laughs> uh what do we got? Uh, I have to say PowerShell AI. Uh it's where I cut my teeth trying to do PowerShell development. Opening a PR there, having Doug be really nice about it and saying, Hey, uh, why'd you do this? In a way that I didn't find intimidating it was really cool. Um, 
I learned a lot working on that and just by using it as well. So I started using it before I started developing on it. PowerShell I still use very frequently. Um, it's still developed for it. Uh, the second one I would say is probably Fancy Clearhost. I don't know how to say the name of the person who wrote it. Um, M-D-G-R-S-M-E-I, uh, Midgers. I've always read it as Midgers May in my head. Uh, they wrote a module to clear your host fancily. So when you do clear host, it'll, uh, it'll pick a random animation and then like sometimes the text will just fall off the screen. Sometimes it'll turn into a brick game where you have to, it has a little paddle at the bottom of the screen and you've got to clear all the words individually. That takes some time. Uh, and then there's another one. Uh, I can't remember the last animation. I think it looks a bit like the matrix, like the text flickers and stuff, like a glitch effect. That is, uh, for two reasons. One, because I love just watching the terminal disappear slowly while I think. And the second one is because that's actually what I copied to do my publish my first module on PS Gallery because they had a couple of uh, GitHub action workflows for doing the publishing. And I copied that and copied the structure of how they did their tests and stuff. Uh, that was cool. And the last one. Uh, Probably PowerShell Paint, just because I wrote it and I didn't think anyone would use it. And now it's got a couple of hundred downloads and uh, old, old mate Jeff said it was cool. So that's what inspired me to write a bit on PowerShell. That was, I think, in 2022. It hasn't even been that long. But that was the point where I just started uh, publishing stuff, probably. And yeah. Is that three? Yeah. That's, that's three. You're you're about to get a fourth bonus question. Has my glowing arm right here been as distracting for you as it has been for me all conversation? I, I, no. I accidentally ended up outside this weekend and it's been horrible. Oh, is that I thought you were wearing a white thermal, sorry. No, no, that is just what happens when uh I spend a few seconds in the sun. I've got I made a lifetime of not doing that, but you know, accidents happen. That's Amazing. And also, <laughs> I don't know what's okay, going on. Well, I wasn't expecting. I got nervous. I thought, what's this? There's going to be something intense. And then nope, just nope, I've, derailed, I've derailed just everything. I, I've Beautiful. just been, I noticed it halfway through our conversation and it has been an obsession of mine. So for people that aren't watching on YouTube, you're missing out. Yeah, check it out. Give us a like for <laughs> Jordan's arms. <laughs> And if we get oh 12 likes on this video, uh, he'll go outside again next Ooh. week. Well, you already wrote me in, I guess. But let's say shout out to Sean. Those were some great answers to those questions. Some of our finest answers I believe we've gotten. Those are some fantastic ones. And Fancy but Clearhost is sick. It's super awesome. Just make your console life fancier. Check out the project that Sean has. It's just better. Like You could have a normal life where you're just like typing things. Or you could have a fancy life and have it be jazzy and awesome and colorful and customizable. Well, so, Trent, this is usually time where I have the pleasure of informing our guests that we have a celebrity among us. Uh, Andrew, as you may or may not know, is the greatest shillsman in the history of shilling. Uh, just, just the other day, uh, I actually had made a vow to never go outside, but Andrew on a shill said, you should check out the sun sometime. And now here I am with the embarrassing tan lines. That's how good he is. And you get the privilege, the opportunity to sit back and watch a true expert just weave some magic. Take it away, Andrew. Yeah. So if you're listening out there, I, I definitely took Jordan to Shilligan's Island, got him some sun, got him out there. And you know what? If you're still here with us listening, thank you so much. Thank you to Sean for joining us. Thank you to our amazing listeners. Give us a like, comment, subscription. If we get 13 likes, Jordan will go outside, as promised. Get some nice sun. Who knows what his arms will look like next week. Maybe they'll even be stronger. <laughs> I don't like where this is going. I, I think it's it's ending right there. We're just <laughs> getting stronger. Uh you can email us, powershell at pdq.com. Give us some feedback. Tell us your story. Introduce yourself. Um, tell us a joke. 
share a cool project with us that you think is worth highlighting or somebody in the community that you think is doing amazing work, let us know. You can find us every single week dropping new episodes at PowerShell Pod. Um, write us a comment on your podcast platform of choice, Apple Podcasts, whatever you got. Jordan, is there anything else I need to tell these people? I'm Andrew Plotek. He's DevOps Jordan. Sean, where can we find you and keep up with you, man? You've, you've made a great impression on us. We want to connect. We want to see your projects. Maybe we won't even contribute to them. Where can we find you on this lovely internet? Uh, previously, I would have said Twitter. Um, I still call it that. Twitter, Sean underscore Laurie, I think. I might actually have to check that. Uh, my name was too common, so a couple of my handles are different. So usually Sean Laurie or Sean underscore Laurie. I went with the same picture everywhere. So if you can find my GitHub, that is Sean Laurie, then you should be able to find me. And uh, I will have links to this in the show notes as well if people yeah. get confused. Cool. All right, Sweet. well... Thank you for taking the time to talk to us and your professionalism and not make fun of my freakish arm tan. That's all right. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> That's a great exit. Thanks for joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. I dig it. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. Mm-hmm.